Good morning, Good News Church. My name is Tristan. Uh, today's reading is Luke 9, 37 through 50. Let us stand for the reading of the scripture. On the next day, when he had, came, when he had come down from the mountain, a great, cloud, great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams from the mouth and shatters him and will horridly leave him. And I beg your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and this was concealed from them. So that, they, so that they may not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning, reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him beside and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he is least among you all, is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, O oh Father. Father, we thank you for your greatness. We thank you for your word, your teaching, and wisdom, O oh Father God. In Jesus' name. Good morning, good news. It's a privilege to be here today and share the word with you. Uh, one quick thing, um, however, as we were worshiping, the Lord's been giving me the first picture since first service and uh, gave me the rest of it as we worship. And I, I feel like I need to share this. There's some type of fish. I'm not a fisherman that kind of jump in the water. Have you guys seen those? Come on, have you guys seen those? Shoot, eight o'clock was more alive. Anyway, in my mind, I was seeing this fish jump, and one of the fish just happened to jump out of the water. And then it was on the ground. And as you guys know, fish would not survive outside of the water. And I sense God saying this. He said, there's, there's someone here today that you have jumped outside of your natural element. You have jumped outside of where I want you and you are gasping for air and you're to the point of death, spiritually speaking. And God wants you, wants to grab you and position you back in his water when you receive oxygen and you will be refreshed. There's some of you here as well. 
that you're not jumping. You're just swimming along, minding your own business. And there's a hook in the water with bait. And you're circling around that hook, taking a look at the bait, contemplating, hmm, should I eat it? And God says, if you take a bite, you'll be hooked and pulled out of the water. Jesus is a word of a warning. And I'm confident that God is for you and that he will direct your steps. Amen. All right. So as we uh, as we look at the text this morning, how many of you have ever experienced the highs and the lows of life? Let me see your hands. And we're not talking about substance abuse here. So the highs and the lows of life I have. Many of us have. You know, it's incredible because here in this text, and if we go back to last week when Nicholas was sharing, we see the disciples in the same situation. They were experiencing the highs and the lows of life. One moment, Jesus picks three of them as his core team. He takes them up to this mountain and they see some amazing stuff. They see some amazing things. Not only do they get picked by Jesus as the core team, but then they hear the Father speak from a, from a cloud. And then the next moment, they come down and they're being rebuked because of their failure. Right? Now, I feel like I need to say this. Your failure does not define you. Some of you need to hear that. Your failure does not define you. You know, the same thing happens with Jesus. I love this because in this passage, we see Jesus' humanity come to life. It's right here in the pages of Scripture. Fully God, fully man. Because Jesus also is at the mountaintop. Last week, we talked about it. Nicholas preached about it. If you didn't hear that message, go listen to it. It's great. So Jesus is on the mountaintop, and he's talking to Elijah and to Moses. And they're talking about his depar- departure. They're talking about his exodus. And then the father speaking and talking about Jesus from the, cro- from the cloud and saying, This is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. But the Bible says that the next day, Jesus then, very frustrated, He's saying words like, oh, faithless and and twisted generation. How much longer should I be with you and bear with you? You know what? I'm tired of you. I'm done with you. You know, in life, we're going to have those ups and downs. But your character is not displayed in the highs of life, but in the lows. I'll say that again. Your character is not displayed in the highs of life, but in the lows. And Jesus' character was displayed here. As he communicates that, what did he do? He told them to bring the man's son. He ministered to, to this man's son. This man was at his wit's end. He had no idea what to do. He was hopeless. And Jesus extended his compassion and mercy and displayed his power. You know, did the disciples have the power to actually cast out this demon? Say yes. 
Okay. Yeah, they did. Luke chapter 9 verse 1 says, And he, Jesus, called the twelve and gave them power and authority to cast all, to, to give them all power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases. So they had the power and authority, but they couldn't exercise that power and authority. The man says, I begged your disciples, and they, but they cannot, they cannot cast it out. So what happened here? They have the power, they have the authority, and they cannot do it. What happened? Well, in Luke's account, Luke focuses more on the reaction of the people, of the crowds, and what Jesus was doing. But if we go to Mark and Luke and Mark and Matthew, then we actually see the response from Jesus of why they couldn't do this. So in Mark chapter 9, verses 28 and 29, the disciples talk to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, come to the side right here. Let us talk to you. And they asked the question, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus gave them a very simple answer. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some of your translations may say prayer and fasting. Which sometimes, you know, prayer, prayer could be self-denial. You know, that's what fasting is. You're denying yourself, right? To draw closer to God. And sometimes prayer is the same way. Well, I don't want to pray today. I know that I should pray, but I want to watch TV. Well, I want to go to sleep, so I'm not going to pray, right? Now, this presents a problem that this kind come out by anything but prayer. Why is this a problem? Because as Nicholas told us last week, the disciples had a problem with staying awake when they prayed. <laughs> Jesus goes somewhere and says, guys, please pray. I'm, I'm going for a moment. I'm going to talk to the Father. <sighs> That's what happened. So this is a problem. They got to pray in order for this, this type to come out. How many of you, when praying, you've fallen asleep? Let me see your hands. Be honest. Let me see your hands. That's really good because at least it lets me know that you're trying to pray. The rest of you, I pray for you. So, truthfully speaking, I, when I first gave my life to Jesus, I could not stay awake when praying. Honestly. And I'm a night owl. I, I go, I go uh, into midnight and past that, but I cannot stay awake. And I try to do it. It was not a good idea. Nobody told me when I first gave my life to Jesus that you shouldn't pray in bed. So that's the first problem. I was falling asleep right away. But then I said, you know what? I'm going to get on my knees. I see all the super safe people. They get on their knees and they pray. So I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray. I fall asleep the same. I mean, Heavenly Father. And then I get up. I'm like, why is this happening? So I was feeling so. it, It was such a shame Every time people talked about prayer, I felt like they were looking at me. <laughs> you can't pray. And I was thinking, God, people pray to false gods for hours and hours and hours. And they don't fall asleep. Why is that? I said, well, they don't have an enemy going after them. See, Satan will let them go on and do their thing. Because it's not changing anything. It's not impacting a single life. It's not impacting their life. It's not doing anything. But as soon as you and I commit ourselves to prayer, the enemy is going to come at you. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. 
So be encouraged and press forward. You know, Jesus talked that they couldn't cast out this demon because of the lack of prayer. There's something else that he communicated then in Matthew chapter 17 and verses 19 and 20. And it's very closely related to prayer. He said the disciples pulled Jesus aside again and asked him, why couldn't we not cast it out? Now, Jesus answered them and he said, because of your little faith. Because of your little faith. See, it is impossible for you and I to exercise our God-given power and authority if we don't believe we have it. Right? You must believe. Faith. The same thing applies to prayer. It is impossible to us for us to pray fervent and effectively if we don't believe that when we pray, God's hand is moved. That there are things that are happening. You know, Jesus gave the disciples power and authority. Just like he gave to us. We have the same power and authority. But we're still operating, many of us, as a weak nobody instead of a great somebody. As a child of the living God. This reminds me of a story I heard a while ago of the baby elephant. You know, you guys look at an elephant and you see how big, huge, majestic animal an elephant is. They were created to actually be able to uproot a tree. Uproot it from the ground. That's what they were created to do. But then if you see an elephant in a circus, they stay within the confines of that circus, of that tent, of that building. Nobody have to direct them, right? How does this happen? Well, that begins all when the elephant is a baby. Before they're even able to walk, circus hire a trainer. And what that trainer does is that the trainer then puts a huge metal clasp on their foot, on their ankle, with a big chain. And a metal stake on the ground when they want them to stay. Now, as soon as the baby elephant feels this, understands that this is not natural. This does not feel natural and it tries to escape. What happens is that the elephant is pulled right back. And the baby elephant then throws a, a big tantrum and, and it tries to free himself and it can't do it. Can't do it. And it tries and it tries and it tries it for two weeks. The baby elephant's trying to get away. Now with a bloodied ankle, after he feels defeated, that he can't go any longer because he has no more strength. The baby elephant then realizes that this is where he is to be. Now fast forward 10 years from that time. And now the elephant is 6,000 plus pounds. And it's a powerful animal. But it has been trained to think a certain way. And at this point, all that trainers have to do is tie a small rope and put pressure on that ankle to remind the elephant, you're captive. And as soon as the elephant feels the pressure, the elephant thinks, I can't be free. I can't be free. So I want to ask you today, who has trained you to believe that you have no power and authority? 
What old chains are keeping you back that God has already delivered you from? You know what happens when we display the power and authority we were giving? What happens is that people then are in awe of God. What happens is that people marvel at the majesty of God. That's exactly what happened when Jesus displayed God's power, right? It says it right there. Verse 43, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. That's exactly what we have been called to do. As we go back into the text, verse 43, then it says that, but while they were marveling, while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they may not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. See, I love what Jesus is doing here because all of this is happening. Great powers being displayed. The people are marveling at this. And then Jesus says, come here, guys. I want to tell you something and you need to pay close attention. What's interesting is that God, the father had just spoken to three of the disciples, right? Peter, James, John. And he told them, this is my son. Listen to him. Jesus is now telling them, let these words sink into your ears. I got something very, very important to tell you. But they really were not interested in understanding this. Which is crazy to me because just a few verses before, they could not cast out a demon. And they were asking Jesus, right? They were asking him. Why didn't we couldn't cast this one out? But in this instance, it says that they did not want to ask him. They were gripped with fear. They have fear. They were fearful of asking him. You know, isn't that the way that it operates in our lives, right? You know, we sense God doing something or saying something. But we do not want to ask for some clarification because it may cost us. It may mess with our theology because we say, God, this is how you operate right here. You can come no further, God. And then he does something that blows us out of the water completely unexpected. And then we're here scratching our heads. And we're fearful that if we ask any questions, it's going to cost us. See, the disciples had an idea of who Messiah was going to be and what he was going to do. And we've talked about it already in length. So this, this saying that Jesus said, this, what Jesus said here. They didn't understand it, but they did not want to understand it either. So I ask you, what questions are you afraid to ask God? Because you're afraid of the answer. You know, after all of this is happening, Jesus is talking about something very important. And they do not really want to pay attention to that. They don't even want to ask the question. Then something interesting happens in verse 46. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Which this is very peculiar because we read some verses ago that there was a father had a child and he said to Jesus, 
your disciples cannot cast out this demon. But now they're talking about who's the greatest. So that's a little, of, uh, a little bit uh, interesting to me. So, but I really don't know. So there's a, there's a, there's a thought here. I don't know why they were arguing about who's the greatest. Is it perhaps because Jesus picked three of them to go and see some amazing things to hear God talk? And then they came back down and jealousy arose. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Well, perhaps it's because these guys were very self-centered, right? And these dudes had no idea of what humility looks like. I don't know what it is. But the truth of the matter is that in the church today, we consider these men to be prideful, to be arrogant, and not to be humble. Just based, based solely on the topic of their argument. Because they want it to be great. You know, last Sunday, Nicholas shared with us some verses that people tend to take out of context. Do you guys remember that? Yep. So he even asked the question on social media. So what verses have you seen taken out of context? And we are, and many of us know this. Well, I want to share one more with you this morning. So John chapter 3 verse 30. John the Baptist is speaking to his followers and he says he, meaning Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. Or in a different translation, NLT says he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. So taking that scripture, we've been trained just as the little elephant to think that then as a Christian, I must say I'm garbage. As a Christian, I must say I'm not worthy. As a Christian, I must say as a good Christian, I must not think too highly of myself, right? That is completely out of context. If you read the passage in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, you get the, you get the true reason why John the Baptist said what he said. And I'm going to read out of John 3, 26, just this, this verse. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And get this. And everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. Do we see a problem here? Yes or no? Are we awake? Good. Praise God. John was making sure that his followers understood. Hey, 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 hey. We were sent to do something, but it is not about us. It truly is about Jesus. So see, what we were, do, what we were created to do was to reflect the glory and majesty of God. What we were done, created to do was to actually reflect Jesus' greatness. And what they're saying here is, since this guy came along, he's been baptizing people, and now we got no customers. So John wanted to bring the right perspective to his followers. And Jesus did not have a problem with John being great. Jesus himself 
Jesus himself on Luke 7, 28 said, there's none who have been born of a woman that is greater than John. So Jesus did not have a problem with us thinking that John was great. He was great. You know, Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, we are God's craftsmanship. We are his masterpiece. Another translation says masterpiece. You know what that means? That God created everything that you see and the things that you don't even see that are too far from us to comprehend and created you. And he said, you are my best piece of work. That's what that means. You are amazing. You are amazing. Not because I said it, but he said it. He thought that you were Good enough for him to die. You're amazing and you were created with the purpose. You were created to do great things that will reflect God's greatness on the earth. You know, it's very interesting to me because all three of our kids are always asking me, Dad, do I have what it takes to make the team? Dad, do, can I really be in the JBQ travel team? Dad, can I? God, Dad, am I good enough? You know, just this past week on Tuesday, my little guy, eight years old, and I are watching the All-Stars game, Major League Baseball. And he loves it. He sits there. And all of a sudden, he asked me this question. He says, Dad, do you think that I can hit off of a Major League p- pitcher? Yeah, proud little guy. I said, um, what do you mean? He says, I mean, do you think I could hit off one of those guys pitching? And I'm looking, I'm like, these guys are throwing 100 miles an hour, all kinds of movement. And I say, buddy, clarify your question. Do you mean when you grow up or right now? And he said, no, dad, right now. What am I going to say? But quickly, as I've been working through this message, what did I say to him? You know, Ephesians 2.10. You were created, you were a masterpiece. And you were created anew in Jesus Christ so you can do all the good things that God has planned for you to do from the foundations of the world. I said, buddy, you can do whatever you feel in your heart to do because it was going to bring Jesus glory. He's like, okay, yeah. I want him to understand that, hey, it's not only standing here on the pulpit that you reflect the greatness of God. You can do that on a baseball field. You can do it in a cubicle. You can do it in your schools. You can do it in your family, in your neighborhood. It does not matter. But the fact of the matter is that you are not the baby elephant. You do not need to be tied up anymore. Because you have power and authority given to you by the Most High God. So, the problem is this. If you don't believe that you're great, if you don't believe that you're created for greatness, if you don't believe that you, that God created you with a purpose and he has already predestined some things that only you can do, you know what happens? Then it's very easy for you to sit back. Oh, I'm not, nothing good. I got nothing to offer. I'm such a failure. Jesus, you do it. Because you're the one that's great. There's no greatness in me, so you do it, God. 
No, 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 no. That's not how it works. See, I love what Chris Balaton shared. He said that false humility is killing the church. And I agree. So what does that mean? He made this comment, and I think this, this statement is very profound. He says, thinking less of yourself is not humility. Thinking of yourself less is humility. Say that again. Thinking less of yourself is not humility. Thinking of yourself less, that is humility. Because when you're thinking that you're so humble, saying, oh, I'm garbage, I'm no good, I can't do nothing, it's still all about you. You're still the center of attention, the center of your world. And we all know that Jesus is to be that center. See, Jesus then goes on after he hears them arguing about who is the greatest. Then in verse 47 says, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Jesus, what does that even mean? Well, Jesus went to the root of the argument. The first verse says, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, Jesus knew the reasoning of the hearts. He knew what intention they had in, in their hearts. Michael Fletcher in his book, Empowering Leadership, says Christianity is about the continual conversation of the heart. Religion is about outward compliance and conformity. He says this, grace powers Christianity, comparison powers religion. Say, and because of our fallen nature, the church is in love with the idea of comparisons. Jesus has not created you or I to compare ourselves to one another. He has created us to reflect his greatness. His glory. You know, what is interesting that Jesus is not rebuking the disciples here in this passage for desiring to be great. They want to be great. And he's not saying, hey, you better stop it. You can't be great. I'm the only one that's great. He doesn't rebuke them for one for the desire to be great. He redirects that desire. He redirects that desire. He says, you want to compare yourself to anyone here? Here's this child. And in Matthew 18, and in Matthew's account, it says that Jesus says this, whoever humbles himself like a child is the, greated, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean? What is Jesus saying? Whoever becomes as a child. That means without worldly ambitions. That means without the lust of the flesh, the lust for power, the lust for, the lust for money, for fame. That's what it means. It means without the desire to bring another person down. Because think about this. When we're all kids, little kids, if I say, I want a Superman, I want to be Superman. Then Matt may say, and I'll be Batman. And then Chris may say, I'm Wonder Woman, right? And we're all good with that. But as soon as we get some religion, then if I say, I'm Batman, Matt might come up and say, wait a minute. Nope. Uh-uh. You need to go pick up some trash. You got no power in you. I'll be Batman. And that's what religion will do to you. Because it's all about comparing ourselves. What did this child represent? See, children in that time 
were not the center of the universe as they are now. This child represented the least. The least. So who is the least among us? It could be the one with no education. It could be the single parent. It could be the one that's making little money or no money. They're, they're broke. Or it could be the one that's here in this country illegally. The least could be the person that has not been filled with the spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. The least could be the person that has not experienced a move of God in their lives and be transformed. So who is the least? You know, this is not the last time that the disciples argued about who is the greatest. They did that way later in Luke again in chapter 22 and 24. And it's an amazing Another amazing conversation between the disciples and Jesus. And we'll save that for later. So if you don't get it all today, that's fine. You could continue arguing. It come again. <laughs> you know, so Jesus talks to his disciples and he talks to the closest, his closest disciples, those followers. And he redirects their desire to be great. And the answer, John's answer blows my mind. This is what Jan, John says in verse 49. Jan, John answered, this is after Jesus already redirected the conversation and told him what greatness looks like. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Well, this sounds a lot like what we had John the Baptist followers say. Right. This guy who you identified as Messiah on the other side of the Jordan River now is baptizing people and everyone is going to him. And the disciples now, this guy is casting out demons. So let me get this straight. <laughs> You're walking around town. You find a guy that's doing something that you could not do. This playing the power of God and the glory of Jesus. Because if you read the text, they said in your name. So it's not like he was trying to do this. Somebody else's name. He was using Jesus's name. But the disciples rub was he's not. They're not following with us. He's not one of our clan. One of our clique. They're trying to stop someone else who's bringing God glory. Because it's not one of them. Isn't that what we do with the church? So now how we start saying, well, at that church, they don't preach sola escritura. They don't move in the gifts of the spirit. Or they move in the gifts of the spirit too much. Or they don't speak in tongues. And they speak in tongues too much. Or they do outreach. They don't do outreach enough. Right? Or that preacher's all about himself. Well, that preacher's no good at all. You know, this may blow somebody's mind, but just so you know, I got saved. I gave my life to Jesus in a young adult Catholic conference. <gasps> That's right. Yes, sir. With all the Virgin Mary, with the rosary thing, with the holy water and all that stuff. And God still used that preacher. God still used him. Regardless of his theology, he didn't get it all right. Let me tell you, there was a whole lot of weird stuff. But nonetheless, God said, 
I'm going to use this vessel to communicate something that this young man needs to hear and be transformed. So who are you or I to be the judge of pride? Because that's what we do. We think we need to be the pride police. And, oh boy, you're too prideful, Jason. <laughs> I need to bring you down a notch or two. Let me tell you, God will deal with pride. Because who dealt with, G- with Lucifer's pride? God did. And I understand pride is a problem. And we, have, as brothers and sisters, if we send something like that privately, we could have a conversation. But I'm talking to you about seeing people in the way that God sees them with kingdom eyes. And as I get ready to close, I'm going to be a little personal, something that happened just last weekend. And you guys all in here heard it. So right after worship, we were singing and everything. And we had an amazing time, just like we did today. Right. I come up here and I'm getting ready to do transition, which is announcements and welcome everybody and i got up here and i said something like man i love this i could do this all day and that was so great but it's not because of you guys to the choir and our worship team it's not because of you guys it's because of jesus yeah yeah that's what it is so i got back down when i got to my seat i sensed holy spirit saying why did you say that i don't know uh, did that make you feel good? Mm-hmm. He said, because it did not make me feel good. So it was, it was conviction. And I got up here, the third service, and I apologized to them. Why? Because it is because they're great. It is, be- it is because God has given them a gift and an ability and an anointing to do exactly that. And they put a lot of hours of work and rehearsing. So we may enjoy their gift. So God really convicted me of that. Because he said, they are displaying my greatness. And as Carissa herself says, yeah. And as Carissa herself says, that's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know it's not about, it's not about me that it's about Jesus. But if Jesus was singing, it would be a lot better. <laughs> That's what she says. Please, please stand. There are some of you in here that think that your, your failure defines you. You've been stuck. You've been stuck in a rut. You've been focusing on that failure. And you're losing the fact that that's not what defines you. The fact that you're a child of the Most High is what defines you. I want to talk to you, to those of you in here today. Who the only definition of greatness that you have is what the world has to offer. Riches, fame, recognition, right? You have no idea what I'm talking about here. You have no idea what this upside down kingdom means. You have no idea what it is to have the power and the authority that God has given us as his children because you're not one of them.
because you have not made a decision to say yes Jesus I will follow you and I will reflect your power and authority and your glory to everyone so if that's you today we don't need to close eyes we don't need to do any of that if that's you and you're saying today I want to know Christ like I have never known him before I want to follow him and I want to know what great greatness really looks like let me see your hands and I'm going to pray with you real fast Thank you. I see those hands. I see those hands. And many of you that are lifting your hands, I know that you've been, you've followed Jesus, that you already gave your life to him. But some of you perhaps have not. So those of you who you're making, this is the first time that you've given your life to Christ. I want you to take a bold step and come up here real quick. Praise God. Don't be afraid. That's you. There may be a couple. Praise God. Heaven is rejoicing. Heaven is rejoicing. Mark and Joni pray with you guys I'm going to say something just for the two of you 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 were created for so much more praise God that's worthwhile that is all worthwhile now there's many of you here that if you need a moment to come to this altar and just pray and just realize my failure does not define me. The greatness of God defines me and he has said that I am his masterpiece. You come up here and you spend some time with your savior, with your creator, with your father who loves you. And there's some of us in here that we need to stop trying to put people back in line. There's some of us that need to see people the way that God sees them. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for what you're doing in our midst. I thank you that your spirit is speaking, that your spirit is moving. I thank you that you're bringing conviction to the hearts and minds of people. And I thank you, oh God, that you are faithful. I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that the things that you have spoken before you're speaking again. And I thank you that your people will rise up with all the power and authority that you have given unto us, oh God, so that we may do the same. I pray, oh God, that you anoint your, your servant's hands. Lift up your hands. If you want to be used of God, lift up your hands. Father, anoint your servant's hands to cast out demons and to heal the seas, oh God. Father, I pray that you anoint their lips with the word of the living God. Father, give them words to say and that may be used effectively wherever they are in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. If you need to come to the altar and spend some time with the Lord, do so. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.